It's Friday, July 27th, and this is The Daily Dive. Every summer, there's a battle over which song becomes the anthem for that season. What will be the song of the summer? Well, we aren't talking about that today. We're talking about the ingredient of the summer, and what it is may surprise you. Kate Crater, food editor at Bloomberg News, joins us to talk about why escargot is the ingredient of the summer, and also a simple sauce that is the summer's best burger hack. Next, Facebook just set a record, but not a very good one. No other company ever has lost more than $100 billion in market value in just one day. Facebook did just that, as well as losing about $15 billion in stock wealth for its CEO, Mark Zuckerberg. Dan Primack, business editor for Axios, joins us to discuss what all the losses are about and why you should care about Facebook and the FANG stocks. Finally, the self-help group turned sex cult Nexium is back in the news. According to prosecutors, the Seagram's liquor heiress Claire Bromfman used her family fortune to buy an island, a private plane to get there, and also helped bankroll the group, which is accused of coercing women to please their master Keith Rainieri and also brand them with his initials. My producer Miranda joins us for the latest. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. Okay, multiple choice. Is it a superfood? Is it a grain? You know, is it some kind of like seasoning that you put on your grilled food? And it's absolutely not. It's the most unsummary ingredient you can think of, and it's escargot. Joining us now is Kate Crater. She's a food editor at Bloomberg News. It's great to have you back. I love seeing your articles. We're going to talk about two things, something people might be apprehensive of and then something that everybody <laughs> loves. Um, <laughs> yeah. So the first one, I love the way you started. You talk about song of the summer. It's summertime. <laughs> everybody always talks about that. We're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the ingredient of the summer. And it's not really what you might think. It's snails. It's escargot. Tell us about that. I was going to say, I feel like you should give people, you should say, okay, multiple choice. Is it a superfood? Is it a grain? You know, is it some kind of like seasoning that you put on your grilled food and it's absolutely not it's the most unsummary ingredient you can think of and it's escargot especially in the hot weather traditionally when you get it served it comes in a tiny little plate with bubbling garlic and butter and it's really delicious but <laughs> it's not really exactly. what you would expect chefs across the country are are bringing this back there's a resurgence of it it's actually really cool and you're right although I would say, I'm not sure it's always like a little plate to usually almost like a bowl. I mean, there's those specific dishes, but it is, it's like brimming with all this garlic butter. And really it's just an excuse to dip a big chunk of bread and some melted butter. And usually you think about some, like a really classic French place, which probably has no windows and soft lighting and candles. And it's completely not summer at all. I just had escargot um, the other night and that's, you're describing the exact place I was <laughs> in. I was at a steakhouse, red leather seats and everything, and mm-hmm. it was dark. But uh, yeah. <laughs> but people are, are looking back on this. It's a resurgence of French food. People have nostalgia for the classics. And this is one of those classic dishes that's been around for a long time. You're exactly right. A big part of it is that America, and I think especially cities like New York and Los Angeles, are really feeling this French resurgence. There's been so much Italian food for so long, and now the public is rediscovering French food, and escargot is truly one of those classics. And you still forget how good it is. It's just this really beautiful something that doesn't have that much flavor, I don't really think, but it does. It almost always has some kind of like a really good butter sauce. And here in New York, one of the hottest restaurants is a place called Frenchette. 
and these guys are veterans of Mineta Tavern and also Balthazar, like Balthazar is a super French place. And so what they do is they've made this dish called Brouillard, excuse my bad French accent, um, and it's scrambled eggs, like the most buttery scrambled egg. And then on top of that, they garnish it with half a dozen escargot that are swimming in more garlic butter. So it's the most buttery dish on the planet. Oh, that sounds and so good. And it's the most popular restaurant and it's the most popular dish there. So that's exciting. Now, a lot of people might not have eaten escargot before. It's kind of one of those things, as you said, it lends itself to a lot of other flavors. That's why people put a lot of butter and garlic on it, because, though you know, everybody loves that kind of stuff. It's very rich. But the escargot itself, how would you describe its flavor? Maybe I would say it's not unlike a clam. I think it doesn't quite have the sweetness of clams. It's a little bit more earthy because, in fact, snails, you think of them a little more earthy than coming actively from the water. Another thing that's interesting is what people have called the Kobe beef of escargot generally come from France, from Burgundy. And those snails tend to be fed on herbs. I think if you have a good sense of taste or you're really trying, you can get a sort of herbal flavor off of them. I did find this place in New Orleans called Jack Rose, and they are using local escargot that are fed on oysters. So I haven't tried oh, wow. them yet, but I imagine that has actually sort of seafoody oyster flavor. That's what the chef says. It's one of those things that everybody should try. It's kind of an adventurous food for a lot of people. It's not going to gross you out, I don't think. It's something everybody should try. Like I said, it's a classic. It's also something, I mean, in some places, they're not cheap. I think at this place, Frenchette, that this is like 22 or $24 because they're taking a lot of time. If you're importing them from France, it's going to be a little bit expensive. But in general, it's not that expensive of a protein. And it's good. You know, it's always good, exactly as you said, to try something different. And they are being served in unconventional ways. So they're like the people who are the French fan club. And then there are people who are trying more experimental ways of doing things. And we call them the experimenters. And so it's Jack Rose actually served in a tomato broth with um, torn pasta and um, guancali bacon, bacon style pork product. Oh, I love it. So you heard it here then. That's the (laughs) ingredient of the summer is escargot. But for people maybe not so adventurous, uh, I mean, uh, another staple of summer are just burgers. Everybody loves a good burger. And you had another article that talked about a simple sauce that is the summer's best burger hack. What is that? I I can't even tell you how good this is. It's basically, I'll just cut to the chase and say, it's basically a cheddar cheese mayo and you make a mayonnaise in your food processor. It takes all of about 60 seconds when you have the ingredients, which are really simple, like eggs and vinegar and salt. And then you put in the sharp cheddar cheese and blend it and I'm absolutely addicted to it, and it's great. I actually feel like I'm about to pick up a spoon and eat some plain, but it's amazing on a burger because it melts into the meat, like the best kind of cheese sauce you can possibly taste. It's so good. We'll link to your article where you have the uh, the recipe <laughs> for it, but it, it's so good. You can make it ahead of time and refrigerate it for up to two weeks, which is something I love, preparing things in advance getting it ready before you have your party so you can just break it out and you already have Mm -hmm. it ready to go. A couple of other burger tips. You talk about using beef that's ground fresh. And my father-in-law raves about this. He bought the attachment Mm -hmm. for his KitchenAid. He tries to grind his meat as much as possible. And those those burgers really do taste better. You have a good father-in-law. So this comes, this actually recipe, I should say, comes from a cookbook called Kroner Burger from this really great cook in San Francisco, Chris Kroner who obsesses over burgers. And if there's one thing you take away from this, even if you don't make the cheese mayo, find the freshest ground beef you can, if you can possibly get that attachment and grind it yourself. It makes a difference. The other thing I thought was really good is that some people grill onions, some people like raw onions. 
you should grow your onions on one side so you get the best of both worlds. Yes. Part raw, part caramelized. That was one of the tips that I saw you put in there that I loved. And the last thing, just uh, you said go mayo crazy with this cheese mayo <laughs> sauce. Uh, you can use it as a dip for your fries and everything. And all you have to do is look at the popularity of these Taco Bell nacho fries. Everybody loves exactly. those things. And this is like making your own right there. So. Oh, I wish I said that in the story. You're exactly right. <laughs> Kate Crater, food editor at Bloomberg News. Thank you very much for joining us. Yay. Nice to talk to you. Take care, Oscar. We haven't done enough to prevent these tools from being used for harm as well. And that goes for fake news, foreign interference in elections, and developers misusing people's information. Joining us now is Dan Primack, business editor for Axios. We're going to be talking about Facebook. Some crazy news. I mean, they posted the single biggest loss in stock market history. The numbers are a little squishy there, but they shares fell nearly 20%. They've lost about $120 billion. What's going on with Facebook? Part of this is, you know, the higher you climb, the further there is to fall. But what's really happening here is yesterday it reported earnings after the market closed, and it, retur- it reported slower than expected revenue and slower than expected user growth. And when I say slower than expected, I mean slower than what Facebook told people it was going to have. What might be happening here in part is that Facebook spent the last several months, as we all know, trying to fight fake news and some of these viral posts. And what that means is they are saying no to a lot of prospective advertisements, and they're also kicking a bunch of people off the service or not accepting them on, bots and things like that. So that could in part help explain why they have less revenue and why they have fewer users in terms of growth. Again, they're adding both revenue and users, just not as fast as they have been before. It doesn't really seem like a big thing, right? Hey, we're not growing as fast, but for them to drop so much, I mean, it sounds outrageous. But as you said, this thing with the fake news and all that stuff, they're not receiving part of that revenue that they were getting, which was a bunch during the election time. Right. And it's not just a one quarter thing. Facebook said in its guidance that it expects these slow lower revenue and the slower user growth to be something that continues into the future, into future quarters, which is probably part of why it dropped so far. Technology stocks particularly, which is different than, you know, um, paper makers or oil companies or something like that, these companies are often uh, valued based on growth and expected super high growth. And when that starts to slow, the markets freak out a little bit. And it's that growth that's the reason these companies are often so highly valued compared to what their actual earnings are. They're still the top social media company. I mean, we we fully expect them to bounce back, possibly even do better in the future. For starters, it's still a very, very valuable company. It is still a company that, you know, most people in America have a Facebook account. You know, if you exclude some countries, most people in the world have a Facebook account. They still own Instagram. They own WeChat, which is hugely popular. Uh, so, So they have an enormous amount of power, but this is a problem for them. And you could even make an argument, and I've seen a couple people write this today, that part of what Facebook is doing in terms of trying to fight fake news is trying to become a little bit more Snapchat-like, not in terms of disappearing messages, but in terms of trying to provide better information, better posts to its users. The trouble is, though, as we've seen from Snapchat, Snapchat has had major, major growth troubles and has had major, major stock troubles. So as Facebook starts to look a little bit more like Snapchat, investors started to view it a little bit more like Snapchat. No other company ever has lost $100 billion in market value, but there's some other companies that are right up there. Companies like Apple that have had big drops, Intel, Microsoft, ExxonMobil. 
all these companies lost huge shares in, in market value, but they bounced back as well. They have bounced back. And remember, Facebook, whatever it was back in March, when the Cambridge Analytica privacy scandal came, Facebook lost a lot of value then. Not this much, but it lost an enormous amount of value then. And at around the same time, Amazon took an enormous hit, again, back in March. And that's when Trump was tweeting you know, that it wasn't paying high enough postage rates and it wasn't paying its taxes, et cetera. Uh, and and they, they've come back as well from that. So there is pretty good resiliency, but it's worth noting the overall stock markets this year, through the first half of the year, the S&P 500, if you took out the so-called FANG stocks, which are these five technology companies, and Facebook is the top of that with the F, if you took them out, the S&P 500 actually would have been negative in the first half of the year. And lots of our 401ks and retirement plans are based on those sorts of indexes. So we, we kind of as a society are very, very reliant on a small number of companies, and Facebook is one of them. A lot of people might say, oh, you know, if you don't own the stock, whatever, it doesn't matter to me, but it kind of does, actually. This is an important stock that figures into the rest of the market. It absolutely does. Not to get too technical, but when you look at some of these indexes and, you know, if you've got these again in a 401k or retirement package and say an S&P 500 or something like that, these things are weighted to the biggest companies. So Facebook, Apple, Microsoft, Google, Amazon, it's weighted to those. Those companies have a lot more power than kind of all the other companies there. So if a couple of them take a real hit, it can really have an impact, kind of a disproportionate impact. What do we make of the news of other big stockholders in Facebook, uh, Trillium Asset Management, they own like $11 billion of Facebook stock. They filed a proposal to try to remove Mark Zuckerberg as a chairman. I make that that's a really good press release and it won't do anything because you can't get rid of Mark Zuckerberg uh, structurally. Like he, he cannot be fired outside of some sort of, you know, fraud or something like that. You I know, mean, so he owns a, a like 60% ownership or something like right. that. Right. He, he's got the votes. You know, you said Trillium has $11 billion worth of stock. Uh, to put it in context, Zuckerberg today lost $15 billion right. and he still has control of this company. Yeah. And I mean, I'm sure even $15 billion isn't a big loss for him. I think the bigger loss is that he dropped out of Forbes top five and now he's like the sixth richest guy ever. We'll, we'll launch a Kickstarter or something for him. <laughs> exactly. Dan, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, you have uh, some good news. You launched a podcast over here on the Pro Rata podcast. What are you guys talking about? On Monday, we uh, Axios launched the Axios Pro Rata podcast, which is a 10-minute podcast focused on the collision of tech, business, and politics. You can get it on iHeart and every other uh, podcast platform. That's awesome. Dan Primack, business editor for Axios Pro Rata podcast. Check that out. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. I was a professional show jumper living in Holland, uh, just outside of Maastricht, uh, representing the United States to, on tour. And I started working with um, the founder and, and the co-founder of the organization, Nancy Salzman and Keith Raniere. And they um, were coaching me for, during the Olympic trials. Uh, and I was very successful. I was 12th in the trials. Joining me now is my producer, Miranda, to talk about this Nexium sex cult. We talked about this before in the podcast. It's a weird self-help group that catered to a lot of business people beneath the whole thing, all beneath all the layers. There was this weird sex cult that catered to their founder, Keith Rainier. Tell us a little bit about what this sex cult is about. So it's called Nexium, and it's described as on that surface being some kind of executive success program. It's it's all about self-help and life coaching. And within this overarching cover of that are these smaller groups. There's a women's group. And then even within the women's group is this thing called DOS. So Keith Rainier and Allison Mack were the people in charge. Keith Rainier is the guy who founded it. Allison Mack is the actress who kind of facilitated a lot of the shadier sex stuff. Yeah, she was made famous by the TV show Smallville. 
And so they were arrested back in March for their respective roles in DOS, which is an offshoot of, like I said, the Executive Success Program, also known as Nexium. And in DOS, it was a secret sorority. They billed it as an exclusive opportunity for female members who had ascended to the highest ranks. It was an operating system of slaves and masters. And the ultimate master was Keith Rainier. Allison Mack was one of the female masters. And what she would do is take naked photos of these other women. She would teach them. She would recruit them how to um, sexually fulfill Keith Rainier. This is what the Nexium group was. And beyond that, now we have some more, you know, there's a lot of people. There's this build it to business people and things like that. For You were talking about these executive success programs. They were as high as $10,000 to participate in these seminars with Keith Rainier, and he'd give you advice. And it was a very much cult-like experience. And now we found out a few more people that were involved in this. The Seagram's heiresses, Claire Bromfman and Sarah Bromfman, were also part of this. They just got arrested in connection with all of this stuff as well. Yeah, they were arrested. And actually, pretty much all of the top tier people of Nexium appeared in court this week in New York City on Tuesday, including Claire Bronfman. And the indictment is that they're all accused of running an organized criminal enterprise, basically crimes including sex slavery, identity theft, human trafficking, money laundering, wire fraud, obstruction of justice. The list goes on and on and on. The purpose of this meeting this week was to set bail and conditions for Claire Bronfman because she's insanely wealthy. She's a huge flight risk. In a previous podcast, we had talked about Keith Rainier and Allison Mack and how they got involved. But yes, the this past week, the focus was on Claire Bronfman, as you said, super wealthy. She has assets in the $200 million range, heiress to the Seagram's fortune. She was accused of a, a lot of different things, racketeering charges. She at one point wanted to be an Olympic equestrian. Well, that's how she got in. Yeah. Claire actually became involved in Nexium through her younger sister, Sarah, who had gone through a terrible breakup and wanted some direction in her life. And at the time, they were young, 23 and 25 years old. Um, this was back in the early 2000s. So Sarah brought in Claire and Sarah ultimately left because she found a man and got married and moved out of the country. But Claire stayed and she had hopes of becoming an Olympic level equestrian. And she actually succeeded through their life coaching and therapy techniques. She was able to achieve her goal. And what's startling about the power of Keith Rainier to these women is that once she achieved her goal, she made it on the Olympic equestrian team. He told her that he didn't think this was a valuable management of her time, and she dropped it like that. She became a full-time devotee of him and was part of this group called, you got to love all the names, the sub-names that they have for these groups, right. but she was part of the Vanguard. You know, She was in court earlier this week. They set her bail at a, a whopping $100 million, largely due to her having a vast fortune. Let's talk about some of her time, uh, some of her experience with the judge. There was a few <laughs> funny exchanges that happened. A large part of their proceedings this week was dedicated to kind of dissecting all of her money and assets. The judge is concerned because he's saying you don't need a passport to get on a private plane in New Jersey. So what's stopping you from just leaving the country? And so they put her on house arrest. Right. She owns a private plane. She has a private island in Fiji. They moved the trial for Keith Rainier from October to January 7th. So this thing is still going to be ongoing. I'm sure more stuff is going to be coming out through all of these court hearings that happen. But yeah, they have, as you said, they have all the top people now. They're involved in sex trafficking, uh, racketeering, identity theft. It's just a wide ranging set of crimes that this self-help group turned sex cult 
are all involved in. And it's like I said, business people, actors and actresses, they're all involved in this stuff. It's such a crazy story. Fascinating. Thank you, Miranda. Thank you. All right, that's it for this week. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. We love the feedback, so don't forget to leave us a comment and give us a rating. Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive. Daily Dive.